Today we close out our series on a God-lived life uh, that we've been looking at for the last three weeks. Uh, The big idea for the series is that God has saved us. Jesus has saved us from sin. He has saved us from eternal separation from God, which is really hell. Is hell terrible? Yes. But really what makes hell so terrible is that we are eternally separated from our God. That's what hell is. And if you're here today and you're questioning Christianity, if you're doubting Christianity, if you're listening or watching online today and, and you're wondering about Christianity, you might be sitting there thinking, well, if that's all that hell is, it's eternal separation from God, maybe it's not so bad. Because I don't really have a relationship with God right now anyways, so what's going to change? Understand that while you're here on earth, you are never fully separated from our God. Our God still loves you. He still provides for you. He still continues to take care of you. He continues to defend you against demons and the devil. He continues to provide and reach out with his hands of grace, wanting to love you and have a relationship with you. That's here on earth. And he will continue to do that until the moment you stop breathing. Hell is eternal separation from our God where there's no protection, no providing, anything goes. And our Savior Jesus saved us from that eternal separation. He won you and me peace with God as He removed the sin that separates us from our God. And He saved us eternally. And now because of Jesus, you and I want to live a life of thanks and praise and glory and honor for the God of this world. The God who has saved us. We want to live a God-lived life. And over the past couple weeks, we've seen a couple different ways to do that. Two weeks ago, we looked at a God-lived life of service. We serve everyone. We serve because that's who we are. It doesn't matter who they are. Last week, we looked at a God-lived life of hospitality, a life that loves strangers, a life that isn't afraid to get messy with other people, even if their life is messy. Today, we close up with a life of generosity. So here are, here's the, the questions that we want to answer today. What gets in the way of generosity? What motivates us for generosity? And how can we live this God-lived life of, love, of, life of generosity? Those are three questions we're going to ask today, and they're all answered for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy was uh, originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul, uh, old Pastor Paul, to young Pastor Timothy. Though Timothy wasn't Paul's son, uh, Paul considered him his son. Uh, That's the type of relationship that they had. And so Paul writes to him a letter on uh, how to be a pastor, essentially, and the different things to look out for to to be a pastor. And in chapter 6, Paul addresses the Christians at the time, the other preachers and the other teachers that were going around and making 
an abundance of wealth off of Christianity. They knew that there was a market for preaching and teaching, and they charged a whole bunch of money. They used godliness to gain a whole bunch of wealth. And Paul addresses Timothy and says, Timothy, be different. Have a different motivation for what you do. Be different than those guys. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. Chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into, te- uh, into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Paul says, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. What is godliness? Godliness is knowing and believing and trusting in Jesus as your Savior and living a life of thanks, honor, praise, and glory to Him because of what He's done for you. In other words, it's knowing Jesus as your Savior and living a God-lived life. It's pursuing that. Living a God-lived life, knowing that Jesus is your Savior and being content with what God has given you is great gain. Two reasons why, Paul says. Number one, we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything with us when we go. Naked we came, naked we go. And there's no amount of wealth, no amount of riches, no amount of money that we can take with us to the grave. There's no amount that will save us from the grave. That's reason number one. Reason number two is more dangerous than that. Paul says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money, wealth, possessions is not a bad thing. And I think that's important for us to to say because one, God's word never says it. Two, is when when church and and pastors talk about wealth, uh, many people sit there and feel bad if they're wealthy like you're doing something wrong. It's not bad to be abundantly rich. God blesses us with wealth. Uh, And there's plenty of examples from the Old Testament and from the Bible of rich people that God made rich. Abraham, Job, David, these are wealthy people. But Paul attacks what the danger is. It's the love of money 
It's those who want to be rich. It's those eager for money. It's all about the desire. It's the desire in here. It's the greed in here. It's the attitude in here. That's the danger. And those who want it are eager for it, desire it. Paul says the danger is we fall into temptation and into a trap. And if we don't escape the trap, it leads to destruction. And those who are eager for it pierce themselves with many griefs. It is the greed in our hearts that prevents generosity, isn't it? It's the desire for me to have. I want it. And we fall into temptation and a trap. Kind of like a monkey. Raise your hand if you know how to catch a monkey. I'm serious. <laughs> Nobody knows how to catch a monkey. Uh, so, this is how supposedly you catch a monkey. Is, uh, in Africa, what they do is they, they take a melon and they make a hole inside the melon just big enough so that the monkey can fit his hand into the melon like this. And they put, they put nuts in the middle of the melon. And then they tie the melon to a tree and they go off and wait. Monkey comes along and he sticks his hand into that melon and he grabs the nuts. But the only problem, the hole isn't big enough to fit his fist through. If the monkey would just let go of the nuts, he could escape and he'd be fine. But the monkey is too greedy. And he keeps holding on to that nut and he holds it and he flails around and he's trapped until his captors come and throw a big net over him and lead him away. If only a monkey knew the greediness in his heart, he could escape the trap. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Escape the trap. Don't be a monkey. Let go of the nut. And instead, Paul says, pursue righteousness, godliness, love, faith, and gentleness. Pursue that, Timothy. Pursue it. Move toward it rapidly and decisively. Decide ahead of time. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pursue righteousness, godliness. That's what I'm going to pursue. I'm going to let go of the nut. And I'm going to pursue godliness. And not the deceit of wealth. You see, if we want to live a generous life, if we want to live a God-lived life, we have to realize what prevents a God-lived life of generosity, and it's the greed that re resides right here. And so how do we do it? Number one, it's your first point today. Recognize what you pursue most. What are you moving toward rapidly and decisively? What are you moving toward in a rapid and decisive manner? What is it more? And there's some easy questions to ask yourself to reveal your heart. 
For instance, what do you open more? Your Bible app or the app that tracks your stocks? What are you more concerned about growing? Your God live life or your bank account? What are you more interested in removing? Your debt, your financial debt, or the debt of sins that stand before God? What are you more concerned about? Living a godly life or the increase in your your bank account? Now, it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, I'm no monkey. I can easily drop that and pursue the God-live life. But what would your spouse say? What would your friends say? As God looks at your heart, what would he say? You see, the danger uh, here is not a reputation of being greedy. It's not a reputation of being cheap and stingy. It, It has nothing to do with your reputation at all. The danger is being trapped in temptation so that the devil can have his way with you. And we need to recognize what is going on in here. It's about the greed that prevents the generosity. If we want to pursue a generous life, we have to pursue righteousness, godliness, and all those things above the wealth. And that's hard. If you're sitting there thinking, well, that's tough, you're right. That's why Paul says this. But you, man of God, flee, or I'm sorry, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one else uh, has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. If you think this is tough, you're right. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. There is a battle going inside each and every one of us between the sinful nature and the Christian. All of us have the Christian living in us. When we believe Jesus is our Savior, He restores, renews, and gives us a new heart that wants to live a life in honor, thanks, and glory for Jesus. We want to give Him praise and honor in everything we do. But there's another part of us that loves self. There's another part of us that loves to sin. There's another part of us that wants to gather and gather and gather and treat ourselves as God. And it's a battle every single day. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which God has called you. And what is our motivation? It's the Sunday school answer. God. God is our motivation. And who is God? Paul explains. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light, 
whom no one else has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Look how Paul describes God. King of kings, Lord of lords. What does that mean? God is king. I am not. God is Lord. I am servant. God who alone is immortal. God will never die, can never die. No one can come and assassinate God. God is immortal. I am mortal. I will die. And God lives in unapproachable light. No eye has seen him. No eye can see him. Because he lives in unapproachable light. We've seen this in the Old Testament before. Do you remember when? Moses, when he's up talking with God, Moses says, God, I want to see your face. And God said, no one can do that. No one can see my face and live. Nobody who is, lives with the darkness of sin and in the shadow of death can see God who lives in unapproachable light and live. How in the world is this motivating for us? This seems to be like a downer. It's motivating because God wants you to share in that. God wants you to see Him face to face. And He made it possible. Not by paying a whole bunch of money, but by generously giving his one and only Son, Jesus, so that you can live in unapproachable light where the darkness of sin doesn't exist, where the fear of the shadow of death doesn't hang over you, where wars no longer exist, where hatred doesn't exist, where the, the darkness, dark things that keep you up at night worrying will never ever be able to come to fruition because they won't even be on your mind because they're not there. Because sin and death and the darkness that is there can't approach the unapproachable light of immortality. And God wants to share that with you. He wants to share with you immortality where He lives with you forever. He wants you to be with the King of kings and Lord of lords and He made it possible by sending Jesus, His one and only Son, who took the darkness of your sin and He went to the cross and paid for it. Who lived in the shadow of death and actually experienced death so that He could bring light to the darkness of the tomb as He conquered it so that you have immortality forever. Think of the love and the generous heart of our God. Imagine for a second that uh, the person down the street from you has gotten themselves into quite the situation. And it's their own fault. And because of it, they're backed up on payments, house foreclosed, and now they have no place to live. They're going to have to go out on the street. Would you ever say, you know what? I want you to live in my house where life is great. But in order to, for that to happen, I have to kick out my own kid. Would you be willing to do that? Never. 
But God did that for you and for me so that we could experience immortality, so that even though we die, we live. The generous heart of our God that gives His one and only Son so that you and I can live in unapproachable light. If you want motivation to live a generous life, how about the motivation of our God? The forgiveness that He's won for us through Jesus. The immortality He's brought to us so that the darkness of sin and death will never touch us again. It's only given to us through the generous heart of our God. You talk about motivating. That's what our God does for us. That generosity is what our God gives us. And it's that generosity that propels us to be generous. And it's why Paul says this to close out. I'm sorry, I forgot our second point. Go ahead, Simon. God alone is immortal who generously invites us into immortality. And then Paul closes with this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul says, because of this, what, to, what, do you, what should you do, Timothy? Command those who are rich not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth. In other words, Paul says, command those who are rich not to think they're better than other people because of the blessings that they have. Because that's what they are, blessings. And don't put your hope in wealth because we can't take it beyond the grave. Instead, put our hope in God. And that's your last point. Point number three, a God-lived life of generosity puts its hope in God, not in riches. Our hope, our eager expectations, what drives our day-to-day is the fact that we have a God who richly provides us with everything we need so we can do good, so we can be generous, so we can share with others. And he provides it for our enjoyment. There's nothing more enjoyable than being generous. How do I know? Because that's our God. Our God is a generous God. And when we are generous, we enjoy the blessings that God has given to us. And that's what you are. You are a generous people. How do I know? Because every time there's a sign-up that goes out for, for sign-up genius to provide meals for people, it gets filled. Because any time someone goes to the hospital or needs something, you step up to provide whatever is needed. I've seen it firsthand. How do I know? Because of the offerings that we take in. You are a generous people. And what's it motivated by? A generous God who's graciously and generously won for you immortality and life everlasting. And it's that that motivates your heart to be a generous group of people. And as we continue to be a generous group of people, living a God-lived life of generosity, people will see that we're different. And then we get to tell them about our generous God who's won for them immortality as well.
May God be with us as we live this, God, or this generous life, a God-lived life of generosity based on the fact that our God is a generous God. And as we do, as we live this God-lived life that we've talked about over the last three weeks, people will recognize and be able to tell who our God is. He's a God of service. He's a God of hospitality. And He's a generous God who gives and gives and gives to you and me. May God bless us in this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a generous, giving God who invites us into immortality. Uh, Help us uh, to see that generosity, love that generosity, appreciate that generosity, uh, consider that generosity, just to stop and think of the fact that you gave your one and only Son. What kind of generous and loving heart that must take to send him for someone like me. Thank you for your generous heart, your love, your forgiveness through Jesus. Thank you that you've shared immortality with us so that we don't have to worry about wars like what's going on in the world right now. We, we don't have to worry at, uh, about death and sin. When we get there, none of that will be uh, part of our reality anymore. It'll only be immortality and unapproachable light which is filled with joy and peace and happiness and love. Thank you for sharing that with us. We thank you for everything you've given to us. Help us to see what you've given to us as a a way to be generous and to pour into other people so that they too may know our generous God who loves us so incredibly much. We ask you to continue to be with us, watch over us, and let us be willing to share and do do good things like Paul said. Uh, so that we may give you honor and thanks and praise as we live a God-lived life. It's all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.